Congratulations. What are the prizes? <laughs> Food from the canteen. I see. First John. First John chapter 5. These things, verse 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. We suggested to you yesterday that the will of God is praying with a God mindset. It's those things that God wants for us and those things that are good for us. And we suggested to you that to have a mind of God, we must choose between two worlds, heaven and earth, In Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 11, 10 and 11, Matthew suggests to us several things in, in Matthew 5 and 6 that help us in our prayer life and understanding what it is to pray with a God mindset. He says that blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But we live on earth, and blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. And so he's talking and concentrating and focusing on the blessed person who lives for God in this present context. And we have a choice to make. A choice between whether we're going to live for God now and wait for our rewards in heaven or whether we're going to live for self now and lose what God has for us in heaven. Now, I realize this has a millennial context, but as children of God and our Father who is in heaven, our treasures in heaven, and what we live for is what we're going to lay by and put there. It's to live for Christ. And if you want to contrast between two worlds and men who lived for two worlds, Lot and Abraham are a good picture. Abraham went out not knowing whether he went. And he sought a city whose builder and maker was God. We must understand that we should not imitate the world and imitate the Christian world who practice hypocrisy in giving. And in Matthew chapter 6, Matthew shares with us that our giving is to be done in secret. And our heavenly Father, who knows what we do in secret, will reward us openly. That doesn't mean if somebody sees you that you lose your reward, but it means if we give with the purpose of wanting glory for ourselves, then we according to the Lord Jesus, will not be rewarded. 
It says the Pharisees lived for what people thought about them. And they did their things to be seen of men. And so in verses 1 to 4 in Matthew 6, he would say, don't imitate hypocrisy. Be not as the hypocrites are. They love to pray standing in the synagogues. They love to do their prayer and their Christian uh, uh, responsibilities and their Christian disciplines. They do them because they want other people to see and to know. And he says, don't imitate hypocrisy in praying. Verses 5 to 15 in Matthew. Don't be as the hypocrites are. They love to pray standing in the synagogue. And then when we sacrifice, when we give up things so that the work of God can progress, when we discipline our bodies with respect to fasting, he says, don't be hypocritical. When ye fast, not as the Pharisees or the sad countenance who disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Don't be hypocritical in stewardship. In verses 19 to 24, he says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust nor corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. And you as believers, you're getting ready to and preparing for life. And uh, God will entrust to those whom he can entrust He may entrust to some of you a great amount of money. And uh, I'm thankful and grateful over the years for for men and women of God who have contributed to this place. Some very, very poor. I remember one little boy used to give one dollar every month to the school as a young boy. He's a pastor today. So, but whatever God places in your hands, don't be hypocritical pretending to be serving God while at the same time we're trusting in riches. Trusting what money can do. Now, in terms of prayer, having a God mindset is thinking as God thinks. And so in 1 John 5, John now says that we are to believe in the name of the Son of God for salvation, 1 John 5, 13. And then he says this, that she may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God and this is the confidence. You see, if I'm going to come and I'm going to pray and I'm going to receive from God, the confidence we have will always be in him. And so now John is going to direct us From the will of God, praying with a God mindset, praying in his will and in harmony with what God wants. So we know God wants people saved. So our life in some measure, wherever it takes us, should be involved in bringing men and women to Jesus Christ. And that's why the New Brunswick Bible Institute was formed. And I'm going to give you just a little bit of history of the school so you can understand that you are connected to an organization that was brought into being where men prayed with a God mindset, that their whole concern, and they prayed about this school and its continuance and what would happen at this school. And their, their, their burden was to pray with an organization that would help fulfill the Great Commission, the marching orders that Jesus Christ gave to us. And so if 
if we must pray with a God mindset, also we must pray not only with the will of God in mind, but the work of the righteousness of Christ. For he says this, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God, the only name by which we find salvation. And he says this, that when you come to Christ for salvation, there must be a continuance in believing on the name of the Son of God, not for salvation. We're not talking about that now. Because he's going to move here and he's saying, listen, you believe in the name of Jesus Christ when you read the record that he has come to die for you. And when you believe in him and receive salvation, the purpose of that is so you will believe in the name of the Son of God as you see him working in your life. And as you see him working in your life, it produces a confidence. And that confidence is in the name of the Son of God. He says, this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. In other words, since we believed in him for salvation, since we have believed on him for salvation, which is eternal, then... We must come and trust him for the things that are temporal in life. For the things that you need today. For the things that you will need in the future. For the gifts that you will need to fulfill what he has asked you to do. For the resources that you will need to complete what he's asked you to do. And since we believed on him, he will give us everything that we need. Peter summed it up beautifully when he said, Such as I, uh, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You will not be able to provide the financial needs for everybody that you meet, but you can provide through Jesus Christ encouragement, strength, words of salvation, resources that will help people, in various ways, through hospitality, through whatever God entrusts into your life, you will be able to use those resources for him. Now, we don't ask on the name or the ground of our merit. Notice, and I want you to repeat with me, verse 14. And this is the, what's the word? Say it loud. Say it loud. Sound confident that we have, emphasize what I said, that we have, that what? Okay, or make it personal, that I have. And where's that confidence placed? In him. You will be tempted in life. You will go with organizations. You will be tempted in life to seek out certain leaders and certain people that you can place your confidence in. But make no mistake about it, the leaders that you have, like us at MBBI, we will be human as you are. Your confidence always must first be where? In Christ. This is the confidence, not that we have in the board, not that we have in the leaders, not that we have in certain people. And we need that. And as individuals, there's a certain respect and authority that leadership carries. And we will be judged by how we react to that authority and how we respect that authority. 
But our confidence always must be in him. Sometimes Israel, Israel had bad leaders. Sometimes Israel had good leaders. Sometimes their good leaders did bad things. But God will hold everyone accountable. He will hold every one of you accountable. For the confidence you had, where? In him. In him. You'll never point at the judgment seat and point to another fellow Christian and say, they messed me up big time. Your confidence must be in him. And this is the confidence that we have in him. And so, as I say that, we must not focus upon our unworthiness. That's a cop-out for some people. I blew it. I should never have done it. If only there wasn't that one specific time in my life. No, we must not focus on our inabilities. Our reputation. Our organization. But we focus on the name, the only name that avails with God. The name of his son, Jesus Christ, who is our righteousness. And This is the confidence that we have in him. So that if we ask, seek and knock. We will ask anything according to his will. He heareth us. us. If our confidence is in him and we're focusing on his written record, the word of God, then we will have the mind of God when we pray and we will have the power of the Son of God and that name that avails. Many people today expect to stand and find power and acceptance at the throne of God because of the name of Christ. But few people find their place to the throne. That's the trouble. And what John is saying is that prayer, prayer is vital. And if we will come to him, we know that he hear us whatsoever we ask. We know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Let me tell you a little bit about the founding men of this school. Let me tell you a bit so you've got some history and you can pray more effectively for Mr. Little and the great responsibility that he has. And you can pray effectively for all your teachers. And you can pray effectively for the ministry of this school and be in sync with what God's purposes and plans are. That's important. Very important. Because we must pray according to the will of God. And we must pray according to the name of Jesus Christ. At the turn of the millennium, things were going crazy. You remember, people were storing food up in their in their basements for the coming millennium, and men were predicting that Christ was, had to come, and missions got involved, and all kinds of things flowed out of that. Some very crazy things. Up in my hometown of Toronto, the, the three revivals broke out. The Barking Like Dogs revival, the Laughing revival, and the Hyena, Laughing Like Hyenas and Roaring Like Lions. You say, we never heard of that. Yeah, the Signs and Wonders movement. And people were actually vomiting And calling this something that God was doing. Not only that, others were telling us that we had to forget our differences between the Roman Catholic Church and the evangelicals. And they were to get together in South America. And that if we were going to succeed, that had to be. We had a common enemy, they said, immorality. And so together, they were to come together and to deal with that was one of the issues. Others had had us believing that Jesus Christ couldn't come back until everybody in the world was reached. And they were saying that, and so they had targeted the date, and that he had to come back at the millennium, 
And there was that scare that went out and preached to people. It's an amazing thing. Now let me say this. Three things about that. Go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. The Lord Jesus... I remember writing down at that time, the agenda for world evangelization is not being set by signs and wonders movement. It's not being set by the church growth movement. It's not being set by those who are trying to get everybody together. Jesus, it's interesting to me that Jesus refused to tell his disciples when he was coming back. Didn't he? He says this, They they, they said to him in verse 6, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. The commission was still the same. He wasn't going to tell them when he was coming back. He said, you've got a job to do. And until I come, that's what you're to do. That's that's for the church. That still stands today. In 1948, after a prayer meeting in a shoe store in Heartland, New Brunswick, clothing store in Heartland, New Brunswick, a group of men met for prayer. And they understood the urgency of the task, 1948. In 1950, they prayed in 1948, and uh, to them, as they were praying, uh, as a school by this time, they uh, were concerned with what God had said. Those men, I said 48, they prayed in 43 and 44, the school started. And in 48, our little first magazine, first publication called The Challenger. Here's one of the first yearbooks of NBBI. I wasn't here then. I was just a little boy playing in Toronto. But uh, this is one of the first publications of that school. And in The Challenger, it's interesting. School by this time, 1950, was had been in existence for six years. Their first graduating class was just three years old. And uh, in the Challenger, they expressed the urgency as they were beginning to communicate with the public about what this school was about. And so, in 1948, listen to what they wrote. How we long that our training were finished, that we might take the message of salvation to them. Get that? We want to be through. We want to graduate. We want to get out. We want to get involved in the work of missions. We want to be used of God. John Parshower. John Parshower is the first. He's the founder of the New Brunswick Bible Institute. And I'll make mention of him in a moment. But he wrote in that magazine, We feel sure that God has started this work and that he will continue it. These are difficult days to think of building, but we dare not disappoint these young people who are seeking to obey the command of the Master. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. There was an urgency. 
of getting the gospel out. In the same book, The Young Principal, you see him over there, Mr. Robbins. Ken Robbins wrote, and Ken Robbins said, we need a holy heartburn. Our desire is so that we fill the vision with Calvary, that we will be compelled to say the love of Christ constrains us, that we will emphasize the great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel, that their reply from a willing heart will be, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Then he said this, you'll laugh at this, we stand at a crucial point in the history of our institute. We realize we have a host of friends standing behind us by prayer. Can we count on you? We dare not advance. We must. We can't retreat. The vision here is for a residential high school that did not materialize and a new two-story dormitory that will cost us the estimated price of $8,000. The vision was being tested. $8,000. That was major to them, wasn't it? I wrote at the Millennium, Thus, the vision and challenge of New Brunswick Bible Institute for the 21st century is to remain true in spirit and letter to the commandment given by Jesus Christ and embraced by the founders of the school, namely the task of world evangelization by disciplined, spiritual, missionary-minded individuals who are simple in faith and practice. And that's a burden. Where does that come from? That's not, I know where years later. I know that we are a half a century beyond that. But Jesus' commandment has never changed. What Jesus said for us, that has not changed. No, the Lord Jesus Christ has given us the same commission You don't know how my heart is stirred whenever I hear of young people from here being involved in the Great Commission, considering world missions. And when I say world missions, I mean world missions. I don't mean just going across the sea. And I think, and we know from those graduates in those early years, that God took them. If you go and and you you check, and I would encourage you, look at the pictures in 1947, first graduating class. Seven people. Ken Garnett, Noreen Paul, Weldon Clark, Mallory Rowley, Lindsey Johnson, Malcolm and Ruth McKenzie. Ken Garnett became a pastor. And after so many years, Ken realized that was not really his calling in life. Became a businessman, lived for Christ. Has a brother named Edgar Garnett. And Edgar has been a great supporter and prayer warrior for this school. I wish you could just see his prayer book. That he used to bring to camp and hold together with elastic bands, praying for the people. So make sure there's no mistake about what I'm saying here. I don't want any student sitting there thinking Mr. Hogue thinks that I'm a failure if I don't go into missions or become a missionary, professional missionary. But it's the heartbeat and purpose of the school. Of that, I would never deny. And my heart would rejoice if every one of you 
chose to go into full-time Christian service as we know it, if God has called you to that. It's not for me to try and figure out what God's called you to do. But the commission hasn't changed. And the purpose of this school, Noreen Paul married Aubrey Clark, became missionaries in Brazil, South America, and Bible Institute movement work. Weldon Clark, son of the founding chairman of this school, and struggling in his spiritual life in the University of New Brunswick. And Mr. Robbins met him and talked with him. And Weldon came to Bible school. And he came to NBBI. He then went out to work with the Shannyman, went to Paris, France, and in Quebec, and founded three churches, local churches that are in existence today. Leaving, and people criticized him for leaving his university career to come and to study the Bible. God's called you to be in university, you better be in university. But don't let somebody question what God's call for you is if in your heart, in your mind, you feel the tug of God on your soul. Mallory Rowley studied out in Vancouver after graduation, and then he and Shirley went to Africa and France as missionaries. Lindsay Johnson went to Bolivia and became involved in institute work in South America with the Evangelical Union of South America. Malcolm and Ruth McKenzie. Malcolm was the scholar. South Africa Bible, Durham Bible Institute in South Africa. Why did these young people catch that vision? They caught the vision because at the helm and in the leadership, there were men who I believe with all my heart and all my soul is truly characteristic of the same people today and it's the same desire for us today that you find God's will for your life, that you learn to pray and ask in his will and that you be convinced that Jesus Christ is absolutely sufficient to help you do whatever you need. But the things that I see is this, there is a focus. Let me say this. I don't want us to lose our focus from what Jesus commanded. I don't believe that President Little or your present faculty want us to lose the focus for what Jesus called us to do. I don't believe you do. John Parshar was a man of vision. He wrote and he realized they were training young people to go out. Ken Robbins was a man of faith. And I believe it's important that we not lose our focus I believe it's important that we don't lose our faith in Christ and Christ alone. And I believe it's important that we don't lose our faithfulness to Christ. Mark Breeden was a man of prayer. Mrs. Robbins, who was Mr. Robbins' wife, taught the first spiritual life classes. Mrs. Breeden taught English. And Mrs. Robbins, both they taught English. Mrs. Parshower taught here, was one of the most gracious ladies you'd ever see. But that group, that group set a pace and a passion. And today, I would say to you, it's, it's, it's a passion of our hearts that we don't lose focus. That we, in coming to God, pray and say, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. You can't pray and tell God which place you're going to go, which you're not going to go, what are your preferences, what kind of climates you like. You think God's stupid? 
He knows everything you need. He knows what you can handle. He knows where you can't go and where you should go. And that's why it's so important. And so I wrote my close with this. At the millennium when I was trying to challenge and the changes were taking place, I challenged the folk and I challenge you today. More and more I find myself writing in my daily journal, Lord, help me accomplish the tasks that you have for me today. Give me wisdom as a teacher, leader, father, and friend. When I stepped in the pulpit yesterday, I wasn't prepared to come here yesterday. But God said, I've opened that and I'm sharing with you from my heart. And what's important, young people, is this. I'm just an ordinary individual with ordinary ability focused upon a Christ who can help me and has helped me do what I could never have done myself. And that's true of every individual here. Secondly, I say to all of us, I am convinced that the greatest failure in our lives today and the reason for spiritual and physical weakness when we fail, when anybody fails, on this campus is not the kind of training you're getting, not the enthusiasm and dedication that I see so often around here and I appreciate so much, but the greatest failure will be in all of our lives to maintain a disciplined daily walk with the Lord. And I challenge you, I challenge you to build that into your life. I wrote this down, the most important class you will ever take, have take place on this campus is not at 8 o'clock. It's not even at 1040, 10.20, whenever we have chapel. It does not take place in chapel, gratis, practical work, classroom, or relationship with others. It takes place when you daily meet with the Lord. In the quietness before him, you can have this confidence that whatever you ask in his will, he will grant it and he will glorify himself through you. Make sure you may maintain a daily walk with the Lord. When you fail, when you miss, get back, build it because nothing will ever succeed in your life spiritually that has not become a daily principle in your life. And the prime principle is meeting with the Lord. Father, we pray, thanking you for each student. They've carried some big responsibilities this year. And I, I'm trusting that there are those who are sitting before me who know by experience what I'm preaching about. We all know that in quietness and confidence shall be our strength. Help this student body to pray for our president, for our board of directors, for our teachers, that in everything we do, we'll glorify God. And we have every reason to believe that the judgment seat of Christ will reveal, just as I've been able to look back very brief glance and share with the students in that first class, 100% of those young people went out and made some kind of mark for Christ. 
human beings with strengths and failures, but they touched several continents of the world and several lives. And some of the children and grandchildren of those early ones are even with us today in this school. So, Lord, we pray that there will be fruit that will flow from the lives of this student body this year and this school because we will not allow Satan or anyone to cause us to lose our focus upon Christ and that we'll have confidence in him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.